0: As you're taking your seat, I want to invite you to take your Bible and open up to Matthew chapter 6. If you're joining us this morning for the first time, um, you've walked into the middle of our summer series, it's called uh, Transformed, and here's the essence of the series, we're learning to think biblically. We're learning to think biblically about a number of different topics, we've been walking through a, a handful of different things, and this morning we're going to be learning to think biblically about one of the most important topics in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, and that is everybody's favorite topic, money. And if you're not squirming already, just wait, it's coming. Uh, It's interesting when you look at the scriptures, especially the New Testament, uh, there's so much said about money. There are incredible warnings about money. Uh, There are talks of the dangers of money and the, the dangers of pursuing money above all else. Jesus, by some estimates, talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. And the question is why? Why does the Bible talk so much about money? Why are these kind of warnings uh, just all over the place in scriptures when it comes to money? I think that the main reason is this, that money tells us something very important about our spiritual health. It is, in fact, our view towards money, our use of money, a barometer of our spiritual health. And I think it's helpful to understand this too, in a world that is filled with false gods, and pseudo-gods, perhaps nothing has the allure to our sinful soul like money and possessions do. We gravitate to worshiping money and possessions because it is there we feel we can find a deep sense of security, a deep sense of joy and satisfaction. We find rest and peace, only to find out that they are only temporary and fleeting. Like all other gods, false gods, money and possessions promise what they cannot deliver. John Stott said this. He said, worldly ambition has a strong fascination for us. The spell of materialism is hard to break. This is probably never more true than in our culture right now that panders to our materialistic longings. And in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, Jesus teaches us how to think about money, and he shows us what money says about us. The Sermon on the Mount is in many ways contrasting two different ways of thinking, and that's what this series is intending to do. It's intending to contrast the way the world thinks about a certain topic with the way the Bible speaks about a certain topic. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, talks about two different ways of thinking and two different ways of living in this world. And he has, in fact, two different kingdoms in mind as he preaches this magnificent sermon. He has in his mind the kingdom of the world, and he has in his mind the kingdom of God. He speaks to those who are considered citizens of the kingdom of God, that is, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And what he points out continually throughout this masterful sermon is that these two kingdoms, they conflict with each other. They're at odds with each other. You see, one of these kingdoms is consumed with self-indulgence. It's consumed with greed, and it often finds its joy and satisfaction in the accumulation of money and possessions. The other kingdom, the kingdom of God, is a selfless kingdom It is sacrificial, it is filled with generosity, finding its satisfaction and joy in God, and therefore holds loosely to the things of this world. The question this morning for all of us is this, which kingdom are you living in when it comes to your money? Which kingdom are you living in when it comes to your money? I want to begin by reading the text for us, so let's look down at chapter 6, verse 19. Follow along with me. Jesus says this He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, and if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money." As we march through this text, I want to show you first, when it comes to this question, which kingdom are you living in, when it comes to your money, I want us to see first this, my use of money determines what I value most. My use of money determines what I value most. And that is what Jesus is driving at here. He's really asking us the question, what matters most to you? What do you treasure most in your life? And he begins talking about money like this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not store up for yourself. In fact, there's a bit of play on words going on here. It could be translated like this. Do not treasure for yourself treasures on earth. He's calling us to look at what we have in this world, the wealth, the material possessions that we own, and to see them for what they truly are. So, the natural question when we look at this is to ask well, is Jesus condemning all wealth? There are people who believe that we need to live some kind of monastic life, ascetic life, where we divest ourselves of all of our wealth, of all of our possessions, and somehow living in poverty is pious, it is holy. Is that what Jesus is commending for us, that kind of lifestyle? The answer is no, absolutely not. The Scriptures nowhere contain a prohibition of private property. In fact, the Ten Commandments remind us that it is our right to own private property. God has given that to us. It's our right to not steal others' property. Nor does the Bible prohibit saving for rainy days. In fact, it's actually encouraged, if we look through the book of Proverbs, we see constantly mentioned the parable of the ant who stores up, the Bible tells us we are to provide for our own, 1 Timothy 5.8. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 4.3 that we are not to despise the good things of life by becoming ascetics, but rather to enjoy food and even the comforts of life. God is not saying that money is inherently evil or wicked. It is, in fact, morally neutral. It is what we do with our money that makes it moral Insignificance. Money can be used to bless, and money can be used to bribe. Money can be used for missions, and money can be used to, uh, p- to support the sex trade. Money is morally neutral, so... As we look at Jesus' words, we need to see this. What Jesus is prohibiting is the selfish accumulation of goods. What he is prohibiting, what he is forbidding, what he is condemning is a heart of greed and covetousness. It's wrong, he's saying, to hoard and to spend only on ourselves. It's not just unwise, it's actually sinful to live like this. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus puts it this way, watch out, he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And that is the way of the world right there, isn't it? So many in this world live as if their life consists in the abundance of possessions. So many Christians live as if our lives consist in the abundance of our possessions. We are defined, we find our identity in what we own and what we long for and what we strive for. Jesus says, watch out, watch out. That is a dangerous, dangerous place to live. And greed is so subtle, it creeps into our lives so unnoticed. It's not this blatant sin like adultery or theft. Greed and covetousness in the heart are so often buried. They're hard for us to see. Before we know it, we've slipped over the edge. The word that Jesus uses here for treasures... It certainly refers to money, so you need to see this. Jesus is intimately concerned with how we view and use our money. But I want you to see this, that the concept of treasures is not confined to money. See, what Jesus has in mind are people who get their entire satisfaction from things that belong to this world only. He warns us against focusing our ambitions, our interests, hopes, dreams on the things of this life. Maybe you're sitting here saying, well, well I, I'm, I don't really struggle with greed and, and I'm not really drawn to accumulating possessions. I haven't put all my, my hope in these possessions. But I want to suggest to you, if we broaden the application of this, what Jesus is saying, there may be other things in your life right now, earthly things that you have set your hopes and your dreams upon, that you have sought after, that you are fixated upon. For example, maybe it's a home, maybe it's the desire for a home, or maybe, maybe you actually already own the home, but you've got in the home of your dreams, or so you thought, but now all you can think about is how to refurnish your home, what color to paint the walls, what I need to change next, what I need now, and it's this never-ending cycle, being discontent with what you have, always seeking more. Consumed your thoughts. There's also the treasure of family. Some people put family before everything in their life. Some people actually pride themselves by saying that nothing nothing comes before family. Family is everything. Some mothers and fathers think only of their children. And this is, listen, this is a form of narcissism and selfishness. When we give, listen, when we give such primacy... To our family, there is no time for our neighbors, there is no time for our community, and oftentimes there is no time for God. You may not have a fixation on wealth, but the treasures that you cling to may be just as deadly. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a position in the workplace. Maybe it's a a career that you long for desperately. Maybe it's a person in your life. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a spouse that you're seeking so desperately if anything in this world is everything to you, it is an earthly treasure. Let me say that again. If anything in this world is everything to you, it is an earthly treasure. And here's why this is such a problem. Look down at the Word of God with me. Jesus makes it very clear because these are the things where, uh, as halfway through verse 19, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Uh, This was so relevant to the time when Jesus was writing because All of their wealth was found mainly in three different areas, gold, grain, and garments. And so what he's dealing with here, these three elements, moth and rust, destroy thieves, break in and steal, sorry, two, really two, but could be broken into three. What he's saying is this, all of these things that you value are at risk of decay and corruption. They're temporary. You see, the economy of this world and all that belongs to it will not last. That's what Jesus is saying. If you put your hope in the earthly things, you need to know you put your hope in something that is temporal and will ultimately fade away. The earthly treasures we covet and hoard are susceptible to the corruption of this world where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And you can go to great lengths to protect everything you have. You can put them in the most secure bank. You can lock things away in a fireproof safe. But in this world, nothing is truly safe. And so often, when we look at Jesus' words here, we we heed only the warning, and we miss that what Jesus is saying is this. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to, to be a poor investor. I want you to make strong investments, healthy investments. We miss the positive side of the equation. Look at what he says in verse 20. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And the value of laying up treasures in heaven is this. Neither moth nor rust destroys. Thieves do not break in and steal. There is security in those kind of investments. You see, when we lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven, we can be assured that they are absolutely safe. They're incorruptible, incorruptible, unable to be defiled or destroyed. Those investments, investments will never depreciate. They will only earn an eternal constantly growing amount of interest. So what Jesus is saying is this, don't be afraid of investing, just make wise investments. Invest in God's economy and you will earn for yourself eternal treasures. And what you have to see here is the emphasis that Jesus is placing on eternal rewards. Eternal rewards are given throughout Scripture as a great motivator for the Christian To not live for this world and not live for the the immediate, instant gratification of sin, but to live for a greater gratification, a more lasting, a supreme gratification that is found with delaying. Now, the scriptures are essentially silent on what those rewards are. We don't really know what they will be, but let me just reassure you, the treasures in heaven will be substantial and beyond your wildest dreams. And I want to encourage you, as we seek to use our resources and store up treasures, we need to be looking towards what is going to reap the greatest investment for us. We need to stop thinking 30 years ahead and start thinking 30 million years ahead. I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13. You can flip there just a few pages forward in your Bible. And he gives gives some parables that describe the value of the hidden treasure that we have. And, and, And by the way, the greatest treasure that we have of all is Jesus Christ. The greatest treasure we have of all is Jesus Christ. And in verse 44 of chapter 13, listen to these two short parables. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Look at the next one. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, clearly this is pointing us towards the reality of salvation, that there is no cost too great because of the preciousness of the eternal treasures we have in Jesus Christ. But we need to see that there are things that are worth waiting for. There are things that are greater than what we can experience now. And the cost may seem great. Some of us, we look at these commands and we look at these calls to our lives and we say, you know what, that, that's, that's really costly. If I'm going to value the, the eternal rather than the earthly, I'm going to have to give something up here and now. It's not going to be as fun for me now. That is so short-sighted. I love what Jim Elliot Said about his life, he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot lose to gain, excuse me, gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus is calling us to be people who have kingdom priorities, who use our money with God centered intentionality, who are eternally minded and eternally motivated. And I want you to see. The consequence associated with how we use our wealth and our possessions. Jesus says this in verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we do with our money doesn't simply indicate where our heart is, though that is true. Listen, listen. It determines where our heart goes. All right, so, so what we do with our money, yeah, it, it indicates our spiritual health. It indicates what our heart is fixated on. But what we need to see is the connection Jesus is making, that where we place our money is where our heart will ultimately follow. It's where we will go to. If your treasure, in other words, is invested in this world, so will your heart be. If it's invested in God's kingdom, that's where your heart will be. Your heart always follows your money. And the more you invest in something, the more your affections grow. Isn't that true, just in an earthly sense? And the more time and effort and money you pump into something in this world, the more your heart grows for that. Maybe it's your car, maybe it's your home, maybe it's your bank account. You constantly just become more and more consumed with it. The more you pump into it, you can't stop thinking about it. You have to check up on it. You have to make sure everything's okay. You have to make sure nobody scratched it or dented it. Whatever you're investing in, that's where your heart is. And the hard part is it's so difficult to stop this cycle. It's like an addiction. And that's why Jesus is calling us to stop. He's telling us that we're prone to invest in the wrong things. Our priorities because of sin are all turned upside down. And and practically, maybe you're saying, well, how do I I get a heart for the things that are important, the things that are eternal? Well, just listen to what Jesus' words are. I mean, you say, I I want to to, to be more involved. I wish I had a heart for missions. Start investing more of your money in missions. I wish I had a heart to reach the lost. Start investing your money in in organizations or in things that are gonna reach the lost. I wish I had a, a heart for the broken and the homeless and the poor and the disenfranchised. Start pouring more of your money into those people and those places. I wish I had more of a heart for the church. Why don't I have a heart for the church? because your money isn't being used to further the work of God's kingdom through the church of Jesus Christ. Start taking your money and placing it where your heart wants to be and watch as your heart's affection begins to grow for that thing that you're putting your money into. It's beautifully simple yet profoundly hard, isn't it? So let me ask you this question. What are you investing in right now? Let's make this really personal. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? A.W. Tozer gave four questions to help us identify what we value most. Here they are. Let me give them to you. And just, you can just ask yourself these questions. In your heart, you can write them down. Maybe you just want to write the answers down to these questions. Maybe you're, you're trying to figure this out. I trust that the Spirit of God will be working right now in your heart to open your eyes to see what you treasure most in this life. Here it is first. What do I value most? It's the first question. What do I value most? Here's the next one. What would you most hate to lose? What would anger you to lose? What would devastate you if you lost it? Here's the third one. What do your thoughts run to most frequently when you are free to think? When you're undistracted in your thinking, when you have a moment's spare time? What do you find you thinking about most quickly, most often? Here's the final one. What brings you the most pleasure? Where's your treasure? Your heart will follow your treasure. And what we do with our money doesn't lie. It's a bold statement to God of what we truly value, what we believe matters most. Secondly, second point in your notes here is this. My view of money determines what I see most. My view of money determines what I see most In other words, how I see money actually affects the way I see reality, what I see, how I see. What's your focus, in other words, Jesus is wanting to make this point. He says this in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness, and if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What, what's your focus? He speaks of the vision, the outlook, the focus of your life, that thing that you are fixated upon. Physical vision here is used as a metaphor for perspective, the way we look at all of life. And his point here is that a healthy eye gives direction to all of life. When our eyes are fixed upon the right things, when our heart desires are tuned to God and His purposes, our lives will reflect that through righteous actions and specifically through the righteous use of our money. If your eye is fixed upon self, upon accumulating wealth and riches then your life will be full of darkness. That's what he is saying to us here. And darkness here means all measures of greed. Think of an unbeliever for a minute, somebody who doesn't know Christ, somebody who doesn't maybe practice any kind of religion. How do they live their life? They live their life with the perspective that this life is all that there is, right? I mean, if this is all there is, I'm going to milk this for all it's worth, right? I'm going to gain all the possessions, I'm going to go after all the pleasure, I can can get in this life and in this world, I'm going to pursue everything that's a benefit for me, you know, eat, sleep, and drink, for tomorrow we die. Why deny myself all the pleasure and possessions this world has to offer if this is all there truly is? It makes sense, it makes sense. If there is no God, if there is no eternity, then why not? People only live for a higher purpose when they see a higher purpose. And that's what separates believers from unbelievers. Believers understand that this life is, listen, this life is just a tune-up. It's the preliminaries. It's not the main event. I mean, if you could just think for a moment of a a dot and then a line that continues for eternity with an arrow on it, Just, just imagine this minuscule, tiny little dot. We are living in the dot right now. Think about that we're living in the dot and what awaits us is an eternity that will last forever and ever and ever and ever and we're so fixated and focused so often aren't we if we're honest on the dot we need to learn to live the way god calls us to as if this world is not our home as if we are sojourners and strangers and aliens as if there is so much more that awaits those who are in christ jesus Jesus says that if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Healthy here can also mean clear or more literally single. The idea is that of a a window. And you can imagine a window that is maybe covered with mud And there's only a minimal amount of light that's able to get in to illuminate the room. But then you wipe away that mud and all of a sudden the light comes flooding in. It makes everything more clear. It allows you to see things the way they truly are. You see, the eye that is healthy then has a singleness of perspective that is unhindered by the allurement of wealth and possessions. And so often, this is the distraction in our lives. The healthy eye has a steady gaze upon one object, and that object is God Himself. This idea of healthy implies a single minded devotion. The word has also been translated as a generous eye. That's, that's really important to hang on to for a minute. A generous eye. The idea of, of being healthy in a spiritual sense when it comes to your money is somebody who is generous with their resources, who gives them to where God wants them to give them contrast that with the phrase, the the bad eye, or the eye that is bad. Uh, That can also be translated, the evil eye. This phrase regularly refers to, listen, an ungenerous spirit. The rabbis said that an evil eye indicated somebody who is grudging and cheap and ungenerous Proverbs 28, says this, a man with an evil eye hastens after wealth. Proverbs 23, verse 6 says this, do not eat the food of a stingy man, literally a man who has an evil eye. Don't miss the vital connection here. In the physical sense, if our eye is bad, we can't see where we're going, right? We're blind. We're bumping around. We have no true perspective. So too in the spiritual sense. If the eye is evil, if your eye right now, listen, if the eye of your heart is consumed with greed and selfish gain and hoarding and building up material possessions, if you're consumed with worldly success and ambition, you lose your sense of values, you lose your sense of perspective on this life. That's why why we can all look at a workaholic father And we can see that he has pursued a career and money and climbing the corporate ladder above everything else. And everything he does is viewed through the lens of that single pursuit. And so what begins to happen? He begins to lose perspective on all that's really important, right? How many times have we seen it? He loses perspective on his family, on his marriage, everything begins to crumble, his children begin to hate him. Pretty soon he's left with only the wealth that he has accumulated, but nothing else, and he is utterly bankrupt. but it's so fascinating because in the moment that person can't see the darkness they're living in and what you have to see is that darkness begins to spiral deeper and deeper over time and before they know it, they've dug themselves so deep in the darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, don't be fooled. You and I can so quickly slip into this kind of thinking, into this kind of living. Perhaps you're sitting here and you're struggling in your spiritual life and maybe you struggle with reading your Bible, you struggle with getting anything out of church, you struggle with prayer. You struggle with leading your family and your kids and the spiritual things of the Lord. Maybe just the the Christian life seems blah and bland and maybe you you feel like you can't really see clearly what God, his will is for your life and you're struggling with sin so deeply. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, what God is wanting to reveal is that your eyes have been so fixated on self-indulgence, on greed, on covetousness, that nothing else, not even spiritual things, make sense to you right now. It's like you've been driving your car in the middle of the night with no lights on. And you're squinting, trying to look through the darkness, trying to get your bearings, but your vision is so limited and God wants you to flick the lights on so that you can gain some clarity, some direction, and some information that is going to be so helpful to you. Your greed or your generosity will dictate your spiritual health. And maybe what God is wanting you to do today is become a more generous person to reap the spiritual benefits that he has in store for you. More light, more direction, more clarity. We need to monitor our spiritual health in this area because, like I said, greed is so, so subtle I see it. I see it in my heart. I see it, the way this kind of creeps in in different areas, and you know, I was thinking about this uh, this this week. I'm like, what what area is it that I, I struggle with possessions and accumulating things in my life? And and you know, I don't really. I'm not that consumed with wealth and climbing the corporate ladder. I became a pastor after all, um, and and not in the health, wealth, and prosperity movement. So. <laughs> And you're going to laugh, but God really convicted me about this. Like, I have this, like, I am consumed at times in my heart with books. (laughs) Like, I I love being on the Internet. I love clicking that button that puts that book in my basket. I love placing that order, and I love getting a phone call from my wife because I tell her to call me when that package arrives at the door. There's nothing like breaking open a new box of books, right? And, And you laugh, but listen, listen, this is an area where God's saying, hey, Hey, are you putting your hope and your joy and your satisfaction in a bunch of books? How foolish is that? And is that in some ways limiting your vision of what's truly important, of what's truly valuable? And we know books are morally neutral. In fact, books can be an incredibly good thing for us. But listen, if we begin to love anything more than we love God, it's a problem. We need to have our eyes taken off of those things and placed on something greater. Maybe for you it's spending all of your time looking at your investments. Maybe it's thinking about a new car, a new home. Maybe it's surfing the net for hours, looking at the next item you want to purchase. Jesus' words are very clear. Be careful. Be warned. There is great danger ahead of you. Thirdly, notice this, my love of money determines who I worship most. My love of money determines who I worship most. Jesus really gets down to the heart of the matter here in verse 24 and he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or mammon, which is possessions, material things. Now we really get to the heart of the matter for you and for me. When it comes to investing your wealth and possessions, it is ultimately a question of worship. It's a question of who has your allegiance. It's a question of who is your master. And here we're given a choice between the God of the universe and the idol of materialism. We might have both God and money. Just know this. You cannot serve both God and money. And there are some people who really struggle to get their mind around this concept. I mean, why can't I serve two masters simultaneously? And what's the big problem with that? The problem is with the faulty understanding of what it means to be a slave and what it means to have a master. To be a slave in the ancient world was to be a piece of property. It was to be a tool. You were owned completely and outrightly. You see, you can work for two employers, but no slave can be the property of two owners. Ownership is singular, and it requires full-time service. And by the way, this is the very call of the gospel right here. This is Jesus' appeal in one sense to make sure that we have submitted ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Nobody, nobody can claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ who has not made Jesus their Lord and Master who has not submitted themselves to him. That is the very heart of the gospel. See, the heart of the gospel teaches us that we were all slaves. Every one of us. Even though we thought we were free before Christ, we were simply a slave to a different master, and we were a slave to a violent, vicious taskmaster. We were a slave to sin. Some of you in this room, you're still a slave to sin. You are not free from the shackles of sin. You have not been liberated. You're in bondage. You live for the sins of this world. They consume you, and that is why you can't break free of the selfishness and greed and covetousness in your heart, because you've not been set free by Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And the place for you to start is not to simply become more generous. It is to get on your face before the living Savior, Jesus Christ, and acknowledge that you are a sinner in desperate need of being freed from slavery, acknowledging that it's only his blood that has paid the price for you. Only his blood can set you free. But you see, he makes you then a slave to a different master, a loving master who cares for your every needs. Who not violent and vicious who isn't out to destroy you but his love his love drives him to care for you the bible says that we as we are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son we become slaves of jesus christ we become slaves of righteousness our master is jesus christ and yet at the same time we experience in the christian life an ongoing tension Our old taskmaster is trying to pull us back and make us slaves once again. And the Spirit of God that is within us pulls us over to what is true and right and good. Are you a slave of Christ this morning? Is he your Lord and is he your master? You cannot serve both God and money. It is utterly impossible to have a divided allegiance to God and money is ultimately, by the way, to choose money. There is a throne in each life only big enough for one. Who's sitting on the throne of your life? Is it Christ or is it money? And by the way, if it's money, you're really sitting on the throne of your life. It's you who you're consumed with. The word hate should be understood to mean less devoted to, to disregard or to love less. And I just want you to think about how this conflicts with the greatest commandment in the Christian life, to love the Lord our God above all else, right, with every part of our being, as Pastor Brian showed us last week, with everything we are, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, everything we have is supposed to be committed to loving our God. And if we love money, that means this, if, if the love of money begins to distract us, it derails us from loving God the way we ought to, the way he calls us to. Each one of us, as I said, is susceptible to greed. Money is a false god that can't provide the security, the joy, and the satisfaction that it promises. And to be a Christian is to turn from idols and to serve the living and true God. So how, how do I do this? Okay, I, I see the problem. I see the dilemma. I see where my heart's inclined to. But how do I practically do this? What does this look like in my life? Well, I want you to see Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6. It'll be on the screen behind me. The author of Hebrews writes this beautiful passage of scripture, which actually helps us so powerfully in this battle. Here's what he says. He says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Listen, the power of the love of money is to be broken by God's promise to be something for us. To be something for us that money can't truly be for us. What is that? Look at be free, he says. Keep yourself free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Look at why. Because God has promised, I will never leave or forsake you. John Piper says it like this, he says, if you enjoy the presence of God more than the presence of money, you will be freed by the promise of his presence. He says, liberty from the satisfaction of money's presence comes from the superior satisfaction of God's presence. You see, this is a call to kill greed and covetousness with the sword of God's word, which promises us more of God. So the, the antidote for our sin-sick heart and our craving for satisfaction in possessions is not to accumulate more of those, the presence of possessions, it's to accumulate more of the presence of God is to long for more of the presence of God. And some of you are like, "Well, how do I do that? It begins here. It begins here right now. It begins by praying God. God give me what I don't have naturally in myself right now, a deeper longing for you, a deeper desire for you. Pray that, Pray God, help me to long to long for you. God God, help me, help me to desire to desire you. Help me to want to want you. Begin there and begin in a place of repentance right before the Lord and saying, God, I know, I know my heart craves other things. I know that I've put things in place of you. I know that there are other things on the throne of my heart where you deserve to be, where you have the only rightful position. See, God promises that he will never leave you or forsake you. Do you, do you see that? Here's, here's the tendency in our heart. Here's why that's, say, so why did he have to put that in there to keep us free from the love of money? Because the, the love of money is simply a way for us to find security and satisfaction in what can't ultimately deliver those things. And God promises, He says, don't you understand? Those things are empty. They can't do what I can do for you. My promise is my presence and I will never leave or forsake you. I will always be enough for you. I will always be satisfying enough for you if you seek me with your whole heart. What a beautiful promise. That's why you can be content with whatever you have. That's why you can have much or you can have little, but you can be content like Paul said because you have Jesus Christ, amen? That is the hope that we have. That is where our satisfaction must be found. He must be our supreme treasure. So which kingdom are you living in when it comes to your money? Put your life right now under the spotlight of eternity Assess it right now from God's vantage point. If God is looking at your life right now and he's looking at how you use your wealth and your resources, will he see somebody who is more interested in storing up treasures in heaven than storing up treasures here on earth? The call for you and me is to devote ourselves to what will last forever. And Jesus gives us all the choice. He gives us the choice of a life that is wasted in the pursuit of wealth on earth or a life that is invested in the pursuit of wealth in heaven. This passage is a mirror held up to our heart, isn't it? And it is, by the way, a gracious gift of God to show us the condition of our soul Because then and only then can we do something about it. Just think about that for a minute. God in his grace wants to hold up a mirror to your heart and say, look, do do you see your struggles? Do you see the root of your struggles, some of you? I want you to see it because I want you to know I have the antidote right here. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Trusting that he is more satisfying.